there should be a podcast of me screwing my uh <laughs> I didn't even think about that when it started. Hit the music. There should be a podcast of me screwing in my microphones and like putting this little piece. There's like literally only three pieces you have to put together to put your microphone on. And I can't figure it out to save my life. So I have no right to, to have anything intelligent to say about anything else past that. But I have more right to say intelligent things about politics and whatnot that's going on than most of the millennials that are hired in conservative politics right now. I'll tell you that. Now, I just – I had this road mic set up with like a, a uh, sound canceling thing behind it. It's a whole to-do. But it, I can't for the life of me put three pieces together. It's like I, I'm surprised. I, I can put Lego sets together like a nerd, but I can't put this road mic set together. Uh, what I wanted to talk about today, there's two things I wanted to do. I wanted to talk about people's opinions, which is something that a lot of people uh, don't talk about, and whether or not they're qualified to say things. Because one of my friends always brings this up with me and, like, yells about it. Like, who always says, who the hell is this person, and why do we care what they have to say? Uh, you know, I, for me personally, when, when I listen to myself sometimes, I'm like, what, you know, what the hell do we, I mean, I have an opinion on everything, and I try to make it entertaining, and I've had life experience. I've written policy for lots of people, and I've advised lots of congressmen and things and, and businesses, but... When I see a conservative publication that's hired like a 22-year-old or a 24-year-old that's sharing uh, in-depth opinion on some sort of deep policy that they have no life experience to weigh in on and, and no career experience to weigh in on, it's very, it's always intriguing to me, and I try to figure out why they hire them. One of, one of the things that I always notice is these conservative publications always jump on uh, chicks that got popular because they wore a bikini and shoved a gun in it. <laughs> and that's what their entire Instagram is. It's like, they're an influencer because they're wearing a bikini and shove guns into it. And, you know, 13 million, 13-year-old boys subscribe to their Instagram for free semi-porn. I mean, that's, I, that's what this is, right? Like, I, I don't understand... <laughs> Is there like a concept to dudes, you know, because I mean, I, I, I've dated enough in my life, right? I'm an old man now. I'm not really old, but I've dated enough in my life that I'm unaffected by pictures of women on the internet, um, especially like conservative women or, or even like what's worse is like the, the sad local TV anchor or the sad local uh, weather girl, traffic girl. I'm speaking about one specifically if she's listening, by the way. That her entire claim to fame is, you know, they get up in the morning and they do the traffic. Nobody pays attention to the 4 a.m. traffic. Nobody gives a shit about traffic. Like, or metro metro updates in certain towns. Like, hey, the green line's running slow. Who gives a shit? You got to get on it anyway. So you're out of luck. What, are you going to take the alternate green line train into a town? Anyway, what throws me all the time with these podcasts and and, and uh, Instagrams and whatever and, and, they're, and people paying attention to these uh, folks like her or, or God, I'm getting real specific now, uh, or, <laughs> or other publications is like, what, what is your, what's your BFOQ? What's your bona fide occupational qualification for this? I can say that. Uh, and there is not, they're like, Oh, I have 40,000 followers on Instagram. Yeah. Cause it's like 12 year olds jerking off to you, dude. Or like, or some like nerdy basement dwelling or older creep 
uh, in the conservative movement who's following you just to stare at you. They don't care what you have to say. And you're lucky if you convert those clicks over, but that doesn't make you an influencer because a bunch of 12-year-olds want to jerk off to you. I had to clear my throat on that one. It doesn't make you an influencer because a bunch of 12-year-olds follow you to jerk off you or cre old creepy guys want to follow you. I mean, look, I knew, a, I knew a chick at one point in the conservative movement who was like getting free clothes and free trips because she was essentially an escort for like an older guy and she admitted it. But it's not just women, like guys, younger guys too. Like I don't understand like who, what editorial director is hiring somebody who's like 24, has no life experience, and can kind of write something. Why wouldn't they just find an old like policy wonk and teach them a little bit more about charisma or get them to, you know, get them to write some more informative stuff? Because who, who literally gives a shit unless you're just a click farm that's just trying to get clicks on a publication and make money? Because I don't give a shit what a 24-year-old with no life experience says. And then they show up to CPAC in some tight dress and shake their ass in front of some editor. And they're like, oh, we should hire you, old creepy editor guys. Like, oh, man, you're something. There are so many legitimate female journalists out there who work hard. A lot of them. I'm going to have one of them on the show this week. Uh, Chanel from One America News. I respect the shit out of that woman. Because when the White House press corps didn't want her in the press briefing room, she just fucking walked in and started asking questions and got recognized by the president. And I'm like, that's old school journalism. That is somebody who's willing to get out there and work for it. Not somebody who's sitting around taking bikini pictures of themselves and posting basically the same opinion that everybody else has. I mean, you can watch Fox News and, and get opinions. I'll be real honest with you. There have been some mornings, and I have, I'm opinionated about everything, but there have been some mornings when I fill in for David Webb where I'll watch Fox News and be like, oh, that's a good idea. What, like what, that, what the one person says, like, like about an hour before I go on, something hot comes out and the topic and whatever, and whatever they discuss, I go, okay, yeah, I'll grab that and, and go on. But that's what these people do for a living is take other people's already beaten-to-death opinions and regurgitate them and then share them on an Instagram account or on a uh, Twitter account that they've built up because they're a thirst trap and nobody gives a shit what they're saying with the hopes that someone clicks on their stuff. I don't understand how that's gotten in. It's like, why do we lose? Democrats don't have that genre of 12-year-old followed in, uh, influencer who puts bikini pictures up all the time and shoves a gun into it to get famous who then gets uh, a job writing. Democrats don't have that. The best part about me saying this, by the way, is that nobody out there who wants to criticize me on this, it's like, well, aren't you, you know, you're just jealous. No, 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 I have bigger audiences than most of these people. I didn't have to show my tits to do it. Boy, are they fantastic. <laughs> I just, I look at it. I, I mean, I just, you, you look at these people, it's like, why do we respect you? You have given up what traditionally in conservatism was what should have been like, you know, it, it, you don't have the respect that a traditional conservative would have. And you're in the movement because you wore a bikini. 
But again, uh, there's only one thing worse than that. It's like the traffic girl who's um, flooding her ass on the internet and thinks that that makes her something. Uh, and, and then, you know, goes on to read the news about when the green line is late. That's, whew, Jesus, that's sad. That is super sad. I just, I just want to respect, I want, there are, and, and this is why I go on this rant. There are so many respectable women who have worked hard, who are brilliant. And I've done this rant on, on the radio many times. Who deserve an opportunity. Who, like, if I had a publication, it would be, you'd be shocked at who I'd hire. It would be all really nerdy, stodgy, like, the, the librarian who has really, really deep thoughts on stuff, who has life experience, the policy wonks. I wouldn't have enough money to pay for these people because lobbyists gobble them up, think tanks gobble them up, and, and pay them with whatever. But, um, but it's, it's people who deserve respect and people who I want to hear from that, that don't have to show their ass on the internet uh, to get followers and don't have to show up and, and show up, you know, dressed. Um, I mean, God, I sound like an old guy, but it's true. It, like an old stodgy conservative. They don't, they don't show up dressed like skanks at like uh, conferences to try to get attention from people. I mean, there are, there are so many just respectable journalists out there who are women. And, and again, I focus on women because like the guys, there's no like, it's different. Like guys, they just like, I don't, I don't even know. Like, guys just luck out if they're, like, 24 get a job. I don't understand why they're hired either. But I, I just, I want, there are, like, I can name, you You know them, respectable journalists. I I have, I mean, I, I've had a long-time crush on the brain of, of Sarah Westwood, who I used to sit across from at the Washington Examiner. I, I mean, she's she's brilliant. Her reporting is brilliant. Like I said, Chanel from One America News. I mean, you've got, you've got people out there, you've got women out there who want to be legitimate journalists who are working very hard to get into the genre and aren't getting that opportunity because some woman puts a picture up of herself in a bikini and some thirsty elderly editorial director is like, that's going to be good for the publication. We need tits and ass that can kind of write words and string sentences together. That's not cool, man. It's not cool. And I just don't think that they have that on the left. I think that's a right wing. I think that is a specific to the right scenario. And it's a bad example for little girls who want to go into journalism. And we should be encouraging people. Jesus, I sound like a goddamn feminist. This is, this is actually, no, feminists have gone so crazy that they're like, if you're like, they, they're okay with like a 400-pound woman in a bikini. That's feminism. A 400-pound woman with purple hair in a bikini covered in tattoos screaming about how she's a slut and how you have to accept it. That's what feminism has become on the left. Me on the right, I'm like, hey, I just want smart women in things. If they're smart, they should be given an opportunity over the chick who's wearing a bikini. That's all. Because that's fucking respectable. Because it's respectable. I don't think it's that deep. But I'm, I'm tired of, of seeing opinions from, you know, millennials who, who realize that I don't even know who they think their audience is. I'm famous on the internet now. It's 12-year-olds and it's creepy old guys. It's like people who, if you ran into your fans in public, you would want to run away. Whereas I want to drink with my people, man. And I don't consider you fans either. I, I think you're awesome people. Anyway, rant over. Feminism. That's what that was. That was 
like 1980s, 1970s feminism. That's like nine to five Dolly Parton feminism is what I just imparted there. Isn't that crazy? Don't sexually harass women in the workplace and women shouldn't be slutting it up to get jobs uh, and share their opinion and claim to be influencers. Crazy, crazy, crazy concept. And also don't give jobs to young guys who have no experience either. They can eat shit too. That being said, <laughs> that being said, a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to talk to Travis Tritt on the David Webb Show, and I was able to get a copy of this, and I wanted to share it with you guys now, this interview about his new album, because I don't want to talk about politics all the time. That's not the goal of this podcast. I want to share my opinion uh, with you guys and, I, and, and talk about pop culture and have some cool conversations. This is a very cool conversation with a, a freaking icon um, who I truly respect, and I think you guys will love it. He talks about his new album and his new hit song, uh, Smoking a Bar, and I kiss his butt for about 10 minutes because, honestly, I mean, it's Travis Tritt. So, here we go. Country music legend, Travis Tritt. Word known to man, and he's got a new album out, Set in Stone, a new song, Smoking a Bar, which I think is a total jam, actually. I, I love this. It's on all my playlists <laughs> now. Uh, Travis Tritt, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Tim. How you doing this morning? Pretty good. And I want to I want to premise this by saying, you know, or preface this by saying, you know, a lot of these radio hosts they have you on. They ask your publicists for free tickets to the shows. I bought my tickets to your show. You're coming to Fort Worth this Friday, uh, yeah. June the fourth at Billy Bob's. I paid for my tickets. I'm excited to come see you. Um, I, I want you to tell people about smoking a bar because it it got me nostalgic. And maybe it's it's my age now. Maybe it's me being in politics. What was your inspiration behind this song? Well. I didn't write that song actually. It's one of the one of the eleven songs I wrote. Nine, eight of the eleven songs on this new album. But uh, a good friend of mine, Tim Montana, sent me that song, and right after he had co-written it with a, a couple of buddies of his, and he sent it to me immediately, and it just brought up so much that nostalgia you're talking about. It just brought up so much of of the conversations that I've had over the past. 15 years or so. I've heard people talk about country music for about the last 15 years, and, and they say, you know, we like a lot of the new country music that comes out, but you know what we really miss? We miss the stories that country music has told traditionally throughout its history, and we don't hear a lot of that anymore. And then, of course, in the past year, with the pandemics, the election year, uh, the shutdowns, all the other things that were that were happening, you know, the riots and all the other things that we saw, I had a lot of people that contacted me via social media or that I would see in person, and and they said, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we could kind of go back to a time when there just wasn't so much division and upheaval and people trusted each other a little bit more, and, uh, you know, we found a way to, to get along a little bit easier in this country. And so those things combined made me realize that there's a lot of people that are very nostalgic for, you know, a time that seems that it not wasn't that long ago when things seemed to the world seemed to turn just a little bit slower, and and people seemed to get along a little bit easier and and a little bit better, and so it struck all those chords with me, and obviously it seems to be striking the same chords with all the people that are hearing it. Every time we are doing that song live now, uh, we get a standing ovation at the end of the first verse. 
and it's it's anytime you've got a brand new song that people don't really know that well that has that kind of response to it, you know you're on to something. Yeah, that's uh, I, I have so much to talk to you about here, and I, I don't want to go out of order because I want to ask you about like hit songs and what it's like to when when you realize you got one. But first, what's it like being back on the road uh, post pandemic? My God, it's the greatest feeling in the world. You know, for the past year, I mean, we had, like everybody else in the industry, last uh, March of 2020, we had a entire normal schedule booked. We had, uh, I normally do about 130, 135 shows a year on an average year. And the schedule was packed and then like everybody else in March of last year we were getting actually getting ready to go out on tour with uh, Leonard Skinner and the rug just got pulled out from under us and if you're an old road dog like I am you know it's it's you don't know what to do with yourself you know I, I would get up in the morning and and uh, you know check the local weather or check the weather in some of these other cities. And, and, and immediately I would ask myself, you dummy, why are you checking the weather? You're not leaving the house, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's, um, it's different. And if there's a silver lining behind that, it gave me a, obviously a lot more time to spend with my family, which I'm grateful for because I don't normally get, get a chance to do a lot of that. But after a period of time, if you're used to being out on the road and you're used to going out and doing what I do for a living, which is performing in front of a live audience and exchange that energy between the stage and the crowd, um, I, I become like a caged animal after a period of time. And I'm, I'm not exactly the most um, pleasant person to be around when, when you know I'm not able to go out and do what I love to do for a living. So obviously, I've had it better than than a lot of people. I mean, I've had a chance to do not near as many shows as I normally would do, but I've had the opportunity to do some drive-in shows and a few, you know, things here and there, some solo acoustic shows throughout the ever since probably late summer of last year, and uh, that's been a blessing. But now that we're starting to see things open up uh, this year. And we're almost getting back to normal again. Um, man, it's the greatest thing in the world. And the response from the audience tells me that they've been as excited and looking forward to live music again as I have. So when you have that kind of energy and that kind of exchange going on back and forth between the audience and the and the stage, uh, it's 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 going to be magic, and it has been every single night. Yeah, that's I'm I'm excited to get back out too. Uh, you're my first concert back, so I'm I'm excited to to come and see you on Friday at uh, Billy Bob's Fort Worth. Uh, when when you you've had a a pile of hits, when you play these for the first time, when you sit down and sing them, do you know it when you sing them? Or are you like, oh, that one right there? I don't think anybody knows. I mean, I know what what moves me, and my whole goal is to try to honestly and objectively move myself with the songs that I write or the songs that I find outside of my own writing. And I know that if I can, you know, Dan Fogelberg used to say um, years ago, um, he had a quote that I've used many, many times throughout my career, and that is, if I can honestly and objectively move myself with the songs that I'm writing or the songs that I'm recording, uh, 
I know that I can move other people. And I've always sort of used that as a as a sort of a uh, a guide stick for you know how uh, songs strike me. But we don't ever know. I mean, nobody has a crystal ball. You never know until you actually get the song out there in front of people. I've written some songs and recorded some songs over the years that I thought, man, this is going to be the biggest thing since you know since the the earliest songs that I had that were number ones. And for whatever reason, it just doesn't work. On the opposite side of that coin, I've released songs that I never really thought were going to do anything. And uh, all of a sudden, for whatever reason, they catch on with people. So you just go with your best instincts, you know, and then get it out there and just watch what happens. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Uh, when... You know, now that you, I guess you, you it's weird because you're, you're a country music star and at some point they call you a legend, but I don't, I think that just dates you instead of like, you're always a star. You're always kind of, you know, it's, um, when you see a, a young, uh, up and coming act, uh, sing one of your songs, uh, one of your classic hits, like, what's that like? What's that feel like? Oh, it's, it's, it's an honor. You know, that was one of the things about this particular album that I, I really wasn't aware of. Because I I went in the studio, Dave Cobb, who is a producer that uh, I worked with on this album, um, he's produces he produces albums for everybody from Chris Stapleton to Jason Isbell to Sturgill Simpson down the line, and he set me up with some of his fav- favorite songwriters before we ever started um, actually going in the studio and working on this album. And the one thing that really shocked me, all these young songwriters that I had never written with before, almost every single one of them told me how much my music had influenced them when they were just kids, just young kids. And that came as a very pleasant surprise to me, because as an artist, from my standpoint, I never really thought about, you know... All I wanted to do was take my music out to as many people as I possibly could, but I never really thought about the fact that there's going to be a certain amount of that audience that you play for, that you that you get to follow your music and like your music, that are going to end up in the music industry themselves someday. And to find out that they were influenced by something that you did, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago or whatever it may be, that is a that is a great surprise, and for me, it was a great honor. You know, it just lets you know that that you've had more of an influence and more of an impact on people than you than you sometimes realized. And uh, it's it's a it's you know it's, it's a very flattering thing. It's a very humbling thing for me, uh, but it's something that I uh, I really, uh, especially if they do a great job on it. You know, it, it's something that really uh, I I take a lot of pride in. If they do a bad job on it, though, eh. Um, <laughs> uh, listen, I, I want to leave you with this. we got about a minute left. I want to thank you personally because, and I know it's one of your bigger songs, but uh, when I was on the road over the last year, uh, COVID, I was on the road for 10 months covering the effects of COVID on small business, traveling by myself, and Great Day to Be Alive came on the radio once. You know, there was some hard times in the neighborhood. Uh, yeah. and, and when that hit, that was my anthem. 
for the entire trip, traveling by myself thousands of miles, and, and that meant a lot to me. So I want to thank you for that personally. And uh, Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you listening. It's it, You know, it's great when you find songs like that, that that become more than just a song. It's something that almost becomes the soundtrack for people's lives, and it's something that they can relate to on a daily basis, and that's one of the songs that people, I've heard from so many people, that they wake up to that song, and it just kind of brightens their day up just a little bit. So, you know, anytime you have that kind of a that kind of a song in your in your repertoire, it's it's always a a very amazing thing. It's music is a very powerful powerful medium. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Travis Tritt, uh, thank you so much. The new album, Set in Stone, the new song, Smoke in a Bar. I guarantee everybody listening right now will love this song. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. That's it. No things considered. Like, share, subscribe. I want to thank you guys for listening this time. And uh, you know what? This is going to be an everyday thing. Glad you were here. Talk to you soon. Smoke in a bar